0: What's up, church? How y'all doing today? As Pastor Eddie mentioned, my name is Joey Ortiz. I am the student ministry director here at Grace. And just a real quick, shameless plug. If you have a kid that happens to be either in middle school or high school, we would love to connect with them. We'd love to get to know them. If if your student or your child is in middle school, we meet on Sundays during the first and second English service. And we meet on Wednesdays at 7 Here in the sanctuary for high schoolers. If you have any questions or you want to know more about the Grace Student Ministry, by all means, let me know. I'll be out in the foyer afterwards. So, with all that being said, I have a question. And I want to start off today's church service by asking you a question, and it's a tough question. Have you ever, church, had your mind blown? And I say that seriously. I can remember, for me, the very first time that happened, I was about six years old. I was sitting on the floor in my living room. I was watching TV. It was after, like, dinner, so it was kind of late in the evening. And up on the TV comes this super famous magician, and if you lived through the 80s and the 90s, you know the name of David Copperfield. Some people in the front row, like, finished that for me, it was awesome. And when I was a kid, I was sitting there on the floor, I was watching this show, and they were talking about how this dude made the Statue of Liberty completely disappear. And I was like, dude, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And so then they go and they show the video, and I had no idea that this was like a few years before, but they go and they show this video of this magician, like, raising up this big, huge curtain, and then, like, the curtain drops after he does, like, the magic hands thing, and bam, it's gone the Statue of Liberty disappeared. And I sat there with my jaw on the floor like, dude, how did he do this? This is amazing. And I was like, man. And then they're interviewing people that were there that witnessed it, that saw it, and they were like, I have no idea how he did this. There was this super sweet little old lady who was like completely shaken by what she just saw. It was hilarious. But all that to say they were showing this because the next week they had this like behind the scenes look at how he did the trick. I guess there was someone who came forward, and I'm sitting there all week thinking like, oh, man, David Copperfield is going to show me how to make stuff disappear. I'm going to go to the store, make some toys disappear, end up back in my room. It's going to be great. But the next week on the same channel, at the same time, they showed you that it was a stage. Like not the place itself, but the trick was the stage turned. And it turned so silently and so smoothly and so slowly that no one that was even there felt it. They had no idea. And really, it was a cheap, hollow trick. Did it change the truth that the Statue of Liberty was still sitting right there? No, it was just hidden behind something. All it changed was people's perceptions of what the truth actually was. Now, I asked you that question, and I tell you that story to ask you the real question. How many of you are sitting in here, however old you are, ladies, I'm not going to ask you for your age, but spiritually you're like that six-year-old being. Spiritually, you see these things that sound good and feel good and make you feel good, but upon closer inspection, you start to realize, like, Man, maybe this isn't biblical. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's about to hit on something that hit close to home for me. Because early on in my walk, just like this church, just like the church in Galatia, which we're going to talk about today too. As the gospel spread, as the gospel advanced through the region, you had these wolves in sheep's clothing right behind it. Going after the people who really didn't have a full, true picture of who Christ was. And in his letter up to now, Paul was encouraged to hear about how the Colossian church was living in faith, in hope, in love. Verses 15 to 23 of chapter 1, he goes on this beautiful exposition of how Christ is not only supreme in creation, but sufficient in salvation, how he was preeminent. How he was the prototokos, which is the Greek word for that. How he has the number one seat at the table because all things were made through him, for him, and by him. And then last week we talked about how Paul was joyous in his struggles for this church. And so today, as we start to dive in, today, as we start to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, I want to take a step back. And I really want to look at what Paul's struggle was. Because when, when we look at the Bible today, there wasn't chapters and verses like we see them when Paul wrote this letter. Paul was just writing And so what I want to do is I want to dive into Colossians 1, verses 27 to 29. I really want to flesh out what his struggle was so that we can see what the outworking of that should look like in the Corinthian church. Or the Colossian church, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 27 says this. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. If we pause and we look at that right there, right, we see this in the book of Galatians. Galatians 2.20 says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What Paul is saying here is that's our hope. That when we stand before God, Christ is who he sees. His righteousness is applied to us. Therefore, him we proclaim. In the very next verse, we see this on verse 28. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the struggle. The struggle is to proclaim Christ. The struggle is to go out and warn people of false teachers, of people coming in and trying to add to the gospel. The struggle is to bring forth the wisdom that can only be found in Christ. The struggle that we have, even us as pastors here at Grace, is to present everyone as mature in Christ. That's the struggle. He says it in the very next verse in 29. He says, for this reason I toil." This is the struggle. This is what it's all about, is to present believers mature in Christ by proclaiming him truthfully, honestly, purely through the gospel. Struggling with all the energy that God powerfully works within me. Paul is saying that as he transitions into the next part because in this region, in Colossae, what they were seeing was as the gospel went through there, You had people trying to add to it. In the book of Galatians, we see the same argument. Paul was struggling with this for a period of time. This wasn't just like a one-off letter. But the response to the two different churches was completely and totally different. The Galatian church was like fully believing what they were saying. Like, yo, you have to add these works to the gospel. And you have to add this to the gospel. And then you're saved. And Paul's response was like, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? who's lied to you? The Colossian church had a very different response. Paul's response to them was actually to laud them and give them credit for their faithfulness and for their obedience. We're going to see that in just a second. But anytime you have someone add to the gospel, what you have is a gospel that is not Sufficient. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit because, like I said, Paul really gets into this in the next few verses. And so in this region, like I said, you had these people bringing in these additions to the gospel. And I want to pause to kind of walk through them really quick. On one end, you had a gospel plus works. And when you have a gospel plus your works, it's not sufficient to save you. Why? Because what you're doing is you're putting your faith and hope and trust in your works, not in the works of Christ. You're saying, Jesus, what you did was awesome, man, but I got to do more. And that's completely and totally insufficient. You even see this in churches today. Oh, you sinned. Yo, man, you got to do all of these things to get right with God. You got to have people do this for you if you die so that you can make sure you're in the right place. And nowhere in Scripture do you see that. What you see when you have that is a diminishment of the work of Christ because you're putting it on you then you have a gospel plus private revelation you got to come to me to get these answers and you even see this in churches today that like like they say like hey if you don't come to me you're not getting the full truth then finally you have the gospel plus traditions and i love this because jesus said this time and time again mark chapter 7 verse 8 he's getting after the pharisees he's saying you would rather uphold the traditions of men over the commands of God. And if there's a tradition that was created by men and means nothing to you, I can guarantee you it means nothing to God because the only thing that matters to God is whether you are saved through the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is a beautiful, beautiful thing. What he says or what the gospel is is all about Christ humbling himself, stepping out of heaven, taking the form of a servant to live the life you couldn't. And then die the death that you deserved in your place. And then, after that, after he was dead, he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And through faith alone in Christ alone are you saved. So, Paul sets the stage in chapter one at the very end for what we're gonna get into today. Because in this region, you had the Gnostic. People saying, hey, man, you've got to come to us for this private revelation. You've got to come so that we can take you deeper into the spiritual world. Because that Jesus guy, while he's awesome, he's not the end of it. You've got to get more from us. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you had the people that were still very much tied to the Israelite way, to the Jewish tradition of working for your salvation, And they said, yeah, this gospel thing is great, man. Jesus died for your sins. He did all these amazing things, but you got to do more. And you've got to uphold these traditions. And you've got to do all of these things to make sure that you earn your salvation. And so now we dive into chapter 2. Now we get into our text for today. Now that we have the stage set and we know what Paul's struggle is because he alludes back to it almost immediately. Without skipping a beat in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. What's the struggle? He's trying to maintain the purity of the gospel. He's trying to preach Christ and Christ crucified and that's it. I want you to know how great of a struggle that this has been because I cannot see you face to face. I'm not there with you. I'm locked in jail. And my struggle isn't just for you guys in Colossae, it's for those in Laodicea. It's for those in Hierapolis, It's for all the little towns that are around you. His prayer was that this letter would get there and that it would get disseminated out to all these other churches that Epaphras started in that region. He wanted believers to know what the outworking of the gospel truly is. And we see that in verse 2. And we're going to kind of park on verse 2 for a little bit because there's a ton here that we really need to walk through. His prayer for the church was that their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be knit together in love to reach the riches of full assurance and understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. The end game, the goal here is that you reach full assurance of God's mystery, which is Christ, to have a full understanding and knowledge and grip and grasp of the gospel. That you truly know who Jesus is, so that you aren't led astray by these people that are adding to the gospel. And the outworking of that in the church was awesome. That you may have a heart that is encouraged. Your heart's encouraged because your hope is not in this world. Your hope's not in your seasons or your circumstances. Your hope is not in anything temporary. Your hope is in eternity. And Paul knew this. Paul had this face-to-face, one-on-one interaction with Jesus, and it reshaped his perspective on eternity. And when you have an eternal perspective, the temporary, we know that it's going to pass. We know that the best is not now, but it is to come so no matter what your hearts are encouraged because as you're being persecuted and as you're going through trials whatever the case may be your hope is in the promises of God which are eternal and that your hearts may be knit together in love knit together in love 1 John 4:19 says we love because God first loved us and showing that love to other people, especially other believers and non-believers, showing God's love to a world that so desperately needs to see it, we're a reflection of that, showing thus how we have that full assurance in the gospel, showing how we have that full assurance in the mystery of God, which is Christ in us. And when we know Christ, we have this ability to discern the false from the true. But why is that? Why is it that we're able to do that? We see it in the very next verse, in verse 3. In whom, in Christ, I added Christ there so that you guys can keep the prepositions together, right? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isaiah read it. He took the words out of the Bible. It says, Proverbs nine ten. for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? All wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is God's truth. And to search for truth anywhere outside of Christ, to look for truth anywhere else, is meaningless. Because all truth is God's truth. And now we get to the part where we have to look at us. Paul is saying this in verse 4. Because he says, in order that no one may delude you, You need to have this full understanding and this full assurance of the gospel, of who Christ is, so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And we're not immune to this, church. Unfortunately, even within the bounds of American Christianity today, we see there are so many false teachers. So many people pointing you to other things outside of the riches of Christ. So where in your lives are you like six-year-old me thinking that magic trick was it, man? Where are you looking at stuff and saying, yeah, that's it, but it's not? What have you added to the gospel? Is it works? Do you feel like you have to do more and more just so that you could be saved and be good enough for God? Because when you do that, like I said, you diminish the work of Christ. Is it private revelation? Do you have to go to specific people to hear directly from them what God's word says or what it actually is supposed to mean? I love uh, going back and looking at old theologians. There's a guy, John Owen, from the 1600s who said this. If you have private revelations and they agree with scripture, they're useless. Because God has already revealed it to us. And if they don't, then they're false. Man. And if you need revelation outside of the revelation of Scripture and the revelation of Jesus, which is the perfect revelation of God's glory and grace and goodness, then you're looking for it in the wrong spot. Because that's not anything that's going to save you. And so our call as believers, our call as people trying to be faithful to God's word, our call is to remain firm in the gospel and preserve its truth. And that's my point for you today. That's what Paul was struggling for. That's what he's giving the Galatians, or not the Galatians, I'm sorry, the the Colossians credit for, right? It's their firmness of their faith in Christ. So my point for you today is this. As a believer, I am called to have full assurance in the gospel and to fight to preserve the truth of the gospel. As a believer, I am called to have that full assurance in the gospel and fight to preserve the truth of the gospel. And like I said earlier, he gives the, he gives the, the Colossians credit. He's rejoicing for their faithfulness. He says this in verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. He's looking at this group of believers and he's going, man, that's awesome. You're standing up against these false teachers. I don't even have to be there to help you defend this truth because you guys are doing it on your own. Imagine, church, if that was us. Imagine if Paul's sitting in a jail cell writing this letter to Grace Bible Church. I'm happy to see your good order. I'm happy that you're bringing believers to be mature in Christ, rejoicing in the fact that you guys teach God's word line by line. The truth of God's word, the purity of the gospel. But maybe you're sitting here and you're like, dude, My mind is blown right now, not because of something awesome, but because you just threw like a ton of stuff at us. And I have no idea if I even have fallen prey to these false teachers. I have no clue. What do I do? Where do I go? Paul gives us that very answer in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that word at the beginning, I appeal to you, in English, it sounds very tame. But in the Greek, I urge you, I implore you, I I beg you to present yourself every day as a form of spiritual worship. Because when we do that, this is the outworking. Verse 2, do not be conformed to the image of the world. And if you look at it, anytime someone tries to add to the gospel, what they're trying to tell you is the gospel plus something super worldly. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You're able to look at something by renewing your mind daily and say, that's not biblical. That's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus I know because that's not the Jesus of Scripture. Acts 17, Paul even gives tons of credit to the Berean people. He says, man, I was up there, I was preaching, I was teaching. And then they would say like, wait, homie, hold up. And they would flip through the scriptures to see if it was true. And he calls them noble-minded for that. Not being led astray by someone who sounds good, but by someone who teaches truth. And you see, when we look at God's word, when we search the scriptures daily, we find who Jesus truly is not the Jesus that we're comfortable with, not the Jesus that we want, but the Jesus as Jesus has revealed himself to be. And when we know who he truly is, man, we have so much comfort and peace in following him because we know that he's eternal, coexistent with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past having an intimate relationship with him. We know that everything in this world was created through him, by him, for him, and he upholds it with the word of his power. He is the essence and source of life, both physically because we were created through him, but spiritually as well. Because through the gospel, we are redeemed and restored back to a holy and righteous God. We know that he entered into the world that he created by taking on flesh, humbling himself to the form of a servant so that he could live a perfect life, fulfill the entire scriptures, every single law he fulfilled perfectly so that he could then die in our place and be a substitute for us under the wrath of God. We know that he is the perfect embodiment of God's glory and grace to us. And we know that through faith in him, we are saved. See, if we truly know who Jesus is, You know that it is his work and his work alone that saves. And we don't have to add our works to the gospel. Because the minute that we put our faith in him, we are restored and redeemed back to God. You know that he is, again, the perfect and complete picture of God's glory and grace to us. And anything else is a cheap substitute that cannot and will not sustain you or save you. And we will not be tricked or led astray By any kind of false teacher. Because when we know Jesus, the Jesus that scripture reveals, we know God's truth fully. And when we know God's truth fully, we fully know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for how good you've been to us. Father, we thank you that you have made known your glory and grace to us through the perfect life of your son and his death in our place. And my prayer today, Lord, is that as we look at what Paul is writing to this church, Father, that we can see that we are not only not immune to this, to finding and seeking after false teachers, but my prayer, Lord, is that you open our eyes to that. You help us to find and to see where it is in our lives, Lord, that we have tried to replace your truth with something else. And Father, we thank you just for the ability to gather together in your name, to worship you, to praise you, to sing to you, and to study your word and study your truth. And so my prayer today is that you be with us, help us to discern and give us the wisdom to follow you and follow you alone. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' perfect and holy name, amen. Love you, church.